Hello, and welcome to the Health and Wellbeing Podcast, a companion to the Primary Care Excellence Project. We've created this series for all primary care staff in Greater Manchester. We know that you are under an enormous amount of pressure on a daily basis, and we hope that this podcast gives you some time to think and some tools to help you. I'm Lynn Marsland, and I'm supporting the Greater Manchester GP Provider Board as an HR and workforce professional. My guest today is leader, clinician, and PTSD survivor, Rusty Carroll. He's been open about his own journey with well-being, as well as the role of leadership in improving the well-being of organisations. Rusty, welcome. Just tell us a bit more about your background. Lynn, thank you very much. So I guess the headlines, paramedic, ACP, prescriber, and clinical director of a, a primary care network in a city in the north of England. I also have over 30 years of military experience. And as you've mentioned, I'm a PTSD survivor. I developed PTSD as a result of 15 years of frontline paramedic ambulance work and suffered a, an acute breakdown, required some quite intense psychotherapy and am very much better uh, functioning as, a, as an advanced clinical practitioner and uh, as a, and a clinical leader in, in primary care. So, and that possibly wasn't always necessarily going to be possible as, as few as short years ago as five or six. So I have a personal experience of well-being. I've also shared my journey with um, my own well-being out of a sense of responsibility to reduce the impact on others. I feel that sense of responsibility very strongly. So I have variously done interviews, podcasts, blogs, and spoken at conferences about my journey. And increasingly now, uh, as we are today, talking about um, what that means rather than just sharing the story. From your experience, how has it impacted your understanding of how an organisation can affect well-being and indeed the organisation's well-being itself? I think that's a great question. I think organisations and their culture directly impact the well-being of their staff, both at conscious and subconscious level. And I think we do need to see organisations as beings and we do need to see the culture of organisations as being a tangible thing. And I think this is pretty widely accepted now. And I view culture as being all of the decisions that are made by that culture. That's how it manifests. That's how it, the culture manifests as behaviours is in those decision-making. And I think one of the ways in which, certainly within the, the sphere of health, one of the ways in which that can be viewed is the evolution of organisations from traditional blame cultures to learning cultures. And I think that's been a great start. And that is underway at most organisations with varying degrees of success and progress. What I've noted anecdotally is that that strategy tends to be one that hits posters, hits exact level kind of visions and values, but embedding it deeply into organisations and actually affecting behaviour at, at kind of frontline and first, second line layers of management and, and leadership is much harder. And I think there's a almost haphazard approach in many organisations 
through no fault of the organisations, these are large organisations. The NHS is, I, I think I remember seeing quoted once, it's the largest employer in Europe. We're not talking about small things. We're not talking about, you know, easy things to change. But it, it does have that sort of slightly haphazard approach, whereas I think well-being an approach to well-being at an organisational and leadership level needs to be root and branch. It needs to be holistic and it needs to view the individual, needs to view the organisation, needs to view the culture and be addressing all of the things in there, all of those components together in order to improve the well-being of the individuals therefore and thereby there being the, the well-being of the, the organisation. And an organisation's well-being can be measured in terms of churn and absence and all of those things which are very high at the moment for all the reasons that you've you've already gone into and I'm particularly the development of this uh, hierarchy of well-being through a colleague at uh, the St Emlyn's blog uh, Ian Bidsall who's extrapolated the the hierarchy of learning which is in itself an extrapolation of Maslow's hierarchy of needs and it addresses this idea of root and branch this holistic approach to to well-being at an organizational at a leadership level. You've talked a lot there about a holistic approach and about behaviours and organisational culture. How does leadership then impact on an organisation's well-being? Well, all problems are leadership problems because all problems are people. And, you know, the solutions to problems require change. And and I do very much love um, the NHS's definition of the difference between leadership and management and leadership and change and management is business as usual and I've preceded that into about five words but I'm sure it was a much more eloquently written paragraph when I first read it and it did rather it, it did rather strike uh, that chord and therefore you know if you're trying to evolve if you're trying to learn if you're trying to improve if you're trying to change you therefore need to lead and I'm not necessarily talking about leadership in terms of people with the job titles and the the formal appointments that lead them to be leaders, but also those influences. We have leaders at every level in organisations. You know, your frontline clinician of whatever level influences and leads themselves, their peers, their patients, the, the the people they interact with, the rest of their team. So leadership manifests itself at all levels. But I think if you're talking about leadership in terms of the roles and the titles and the hierarchy of an organisation, it's the acceptance of the fact that a holistic strategy is necessary rather than these sometimes haphazard, and I appreciate it's a slightly pejorative word, but the haphazard approach of a bit here, a bit there, let's do a workshop for this and let's let's all talk about improving our well-being. When in fact, actually, in a lot of organisations, those higher-level attainment of the hierarchy work is in the face of people who aren't getting breaks and don't have access to toilets and can't get meals um, on night shifts and those isolated interventions only actually serve to frustrate the people whose lower needs the lower hierarchical needs of adequate toilets changing rooms you know can you park can you commute is there food available is the water drinkable are you able to access outdoor space are you getting breaks when you're supposed to? What's what's the chance of getting off on time? Do you know what your rotor is beyond 48 hours? Is PPE, the correct PPE, readily available? Or are you having to wash and reuse? All of these things, these are basic physiological, to kind of lean into the Maslow model, physiological requirements that need to be addressed. And then beyond that, it's the, the safety do you feel safe at work? Do you feel safe from a clinical government's perspective? Do you feel safe physically? Do you 
feel you know beyond there do you feel a sense of belonging to the team that you're in and we've all I'm sure I certainly hope that people listening have at some point in their life experienced working in a fabulous team because when it happens when it gels it's just gold it's 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 gorgeous and working towards that are we even thinking of working towards that are we even thinking of our colleagues as people with whom it would be beneficial from a well-being perspective to generate a sense of belonging that gelling that cohesion which of course the traditional methods for which were socialization they've been hammered in the last two years those options have been severely reduced and then at that point you you can start layering up into the the higher levels of the well-being hierarchy and things of receiving constructing feedback at celebration of your achievements lots and lots of people have heard of and will have attended the morbidity mortality reviews but how many of them have been to awesome and amazing reviews where we celebrate the good stuff not focus on the stuff that didn't go well appraisals positively constructive clinical supervision all of these things and then beyond that then we're at the very very high levels and that's where we're looking at um, looking to address uh, internal behaviors and that's where the the mindfulness the meditation the yoga the exercise all of those good well-being health habits that's where those can come in but if you are undertaking those in the absence of those lower base levels being addressed it's a house of cards and it will come tumbling down and if you look at the amount of spend that's been put into well-being in the last two years four years five years have the churn rates gone down has the staff churn gone down I'm not sure I've seen any evidence of that. Um, And perhaps, therefore, organisations need to detach, step back, take a look at the opportunities presented to them to address the lower levels, the lower needs of wellbeing. I think you make a a really valid point there about getting the basics right, having something to build on. And going back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs, I think that really gets things into perspective for me. On an earlier podcast, we were talking about how health and well-being support for staff used to be a nice to have. Now it's fundamentally important. No organisation is going to be able to exist without it. So from your experience, what steps can organisations take? So I think the first organisations need to to reflect on whether or not they've even recognised that there is a problem. And I think most organisations, most NHS organisations across primary, community, secondary and beyond care, I think at various levels of the organisation, there will either be people's or actually, you know, exact level acceptance that, that well-being is, a, is an issue. And I guess at that point, you you know, you accept there's a problem, then you accept the need to do something about it. I'm not saying it's like the 12 steps, but it's starting to feel very similar. And acceptance of the need to do something, and then, and then it's a case of, well, what are we going to do? And in order to know what you need to do, you need to know what the problem is. So accepting the problem, but then recognising exactly what is the problem, what is driving the churn, what are the exit interviews? Are we conducting exit interviews with this with these staff churn, with these absences, when they, when we're doing these return to works and people are coming back after six months off for, for you know, chronic stress? And, and what information are we gathering? What, what are we, are we able to put our fingers on in organisations? And of course, there's a huge amount of 
commonality between the organizations and I'm not going to list them again but the ones that we were listing earlier on they, they're often not completely successfully delivered to our staff and addressing those base needs and then once you've identified what the problem is and it'd be like anything you don't work out how you're going to deliver it and how are you going to make it happen how are you going to measure it how are you going to whether you know indicate whether or not you've had what your outcomes were whether or not you've had the impact and then you go through a PDSA cycle you rinse and repeat and you learn and you grow because there is nothing more important than staff well-being. I'm going to be slightly controversial now and, and say, in my organisation that I lead, I don't put patients first. I put my staff first. And if I put my staff first, and if I look after my staff and I employ clinicians, I look after them, they look after the patients. And if I feel looked after when I'm clinical, I'm looking after the patients. But at an organisational level, I look after the team, the team looks after the patients. And that's how I put, that's how I put patients first is to actually in practice, put my team first. I think that's a a wonderful piece of advice because the NHS is only as good as the people who work for it. And if those people, as you say, feel valued and engaged, they are going to perform better. What I'd just like to do before we close, Rusty, is ask you two things. From your experience, first of all, as an individual who has suffered work-related stress to an extreme extent, what would you say to others who might be feeling that or who might be beginning their, shall I say, journey of anxiety? It's a remarkably similar process to what organisations need to do, recognise there's a problem accept the need to do something about it and then do something about it and when it comes to stress one of the tenets is uh, openness and honesty with yourself and then openness and honesty with with somebody else and that may be a peer it may be a supervisor it may be some it may be a professional who you've been able to access for help and different people at different stages need different levels of help i have variously needed a cuddle to a moan to a bar of chocolate to full-on intense psychotherapy and we all need different things at different times and accepting that accepting that it's a journey and there's not sadly not a silver bullet that's going to fix the problem and progress that with someone have those conversations and that requires sadly and i'm looking forward to the point where this is no longer true but to this day that still requires an element of of personal courage to actually put your hand up and go I am struggling and we tend from a pattern perspective we tend to do that later rather than sooner and the sooner you do it the better that's really powerful thank you Rusty one last question as both having experienced stress and a leader If there was one thing that you would want leaders to do today as a result of listening to that podcast, what would that one thing be? I would give that piece of advice to any leader in any context because there is one behaviour in leadership that is the most important behaviour, in my opinion, and that is humility. Have the humility to recognise that you don't have all the answers, that there are things out there that you don't know, and you are going to need help to find solutions and to then achieve your outcomes. Have the humility to listen, actively listen, listen to what other people are telling you, not what you think they're telling you or what you want to hear. 
don't be in the echo chamber. Have the humility to step outside it. Rusty, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing these really valuable and poignant points. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you so much to Rusty Carroll for sharing his experiences with us. I really hope you found what he has said useful and almost permission if you are feeling any form of anxiety to look after yourself, to think about doing something to support yourself. You can find a link to his blog and other useful websites on the episode page. You can also find out more about the Primary Care Excellence Project. And if you have a topic you'd like us to cover, there's an email address on there too. We'd love to hear from you. Don't forget to follow or subscribe to the series via your favourite podcast provider so that you don't miss an episode. And remember to tell your colleagues too so they don't miss it either. This is a Fresh Air production. Look forward to speaking to you soon.